there's a survey, and you only have 24 units of measurement, all right? And those are called hours, all right? And so I want you to take 24. You don't get 25 and 36 or anything. You only get 24. We all wish we could have 32 hours in a day, but we only get 24. And now what do you do with that 24? I want you to be thinking about that. Throughout this sermon, throughout this message, you be thinking about how do you spend, how do you invest your time? Work, sleep, exercise, home maintenance, you know, the list goes on. Uh, pauses. You define that however you will. However you would define a pause in your life, I want you to be jotting down by minutes or hours. If it's only minutes, then then let it be that, all right? If you sleep for eight hours, great. Put it down. Calculate that in. Subtract it out. Let somebody next to you audit your math, and uh, and, and, then, and then we'll go on. So it'll, it'll, it'll make sense as we go along here. But we've been in a series of messages called Quest, and it's this pursuit that we have. We all have a pursuit. But we're turning the attention now to the practice because we pursue certain things. We pursue becoming. I don't think anybody in this room has so reached the pinnacle of their life that their life is finished and they're just taking up space. All right? You're just taking up space. Shame on you and get a life. That's all I can say to you, okay? Because you should be becoming. You should be longing to become. You should be striving for more and, and looking for more. I'm not talking about discontented with life. There's a, there's a balance there, a healthy, healthy balance. But hopefully you are becoming something, that God is making something out of you. He will continue his work in you until the day of Christ Jesus, the scriptures tell us. So he's not finished working in you. What are you becoming? A lot of what you become is based on the middle word there, belonging. Who do you belong to? What tribe are you a part of? What social subset are you a part of? Who are your friends, your relationships? Who are you connected to? Someone said it like this, and I jotted it down some time ago. Your friends are your future you. Your friends are your future you. So whoever you're associating with, you're beginning to pick up thoughts, angles, perspectives, values. You're getting that from the friends that you're with. And so if you want to project out who you are, just check out who you're with. All right? Or who you're going to become, check out who you're with today, and you'll begin to see a picture into the future. But I think another thing is we all want to be loved. We want to experience love. We want to give love. We want that affirmation that we have given love in a right way. We want that, that feeding and that, and that eat, breathing in and that breathing out of love and experiencing love on a healthy level. And what healthy love looks like. The problem is, is that we've got some cheap drug being sold out there called love. And it's not love. It's a cheap drug. It's a substitute. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a B product. It's not even, it doesn't even make the top of the shelf. If we want to know and experience what real love is, we're going to have to know that through God. God is love, the Bible says. So if you want to know what love is, know God because God is love. I'm not trying to get you caught in a tongue twister there, but really just think about it. If God is love, then the way I'm going to know love is by knowing God. And we talked all about that in the weeks past. But now what we're doing is we're turning the series. We actually kind of started last week when we talked about mission and that quest that God puts us on and that whole idea that he's, he, he has us on a mission here on earth. But we're talking about the practice of a life well lived. And when I say practice, I'm talking about what does the person who lives well do? How do they live their life? 
studying people, studying what they do well, studying how they eat, studying what they read, studying what they think, studying how they live their life. If somebody who you're mentoring or you're, you're watching, we do that. Well, how do we live well? Well, we've got to know the disciplines. We've got to know the habits. We've got to know the practices. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12 says it like this. Apply, to your heart, apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. The greatest book in the Bible on wisdom is the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, King Solomon, wise King Solomon. Listen, the, the queens... Kings, rulers would come and listen to the wisdom of Solomon, would want to hear from him. And he's telling us, listen, if you want to be wise, if you really want to live a good life, no discipline. Live a disciplined life. Paul said it like this. Paul, when he was writing young Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train Discipline. Another one, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave us, uh, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So we have these elements that, that should mark our life. Discipline. If they're going to be a part of our life, discipline, training, habits, practices. I'm just showing you again, surveying through the Scriptures. Another one. I think we all know the value, or at least we want to know the value of what it means to be healthy. Physically healthy. Go to the gym. Eat right. Do those things. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we don't do it. Sometimes we do it better than, than other times. We all know the value of physical preparedness. Physical training is good, First Timothy says. But training for godliness is much better. So you can be physically fit and be a, an absolute idiot in this world, all right? But training for godliness is much better, promising the benefits in this life and the life to come. You talk about residual benefits. You talk about lasting benefits. You talk about something that's going to stay with you both in this life and the life to come. Living a godly life. And how do I get there? The discipline of what it takes to get there. Now, spiritual disciplines are best practices. The best practices of a life well lived, if you will. J.D. Greer said it like this. Spiritual disciplines are like wires that connect us to the power of the gospel. They have no power in themselves. So let me just say this. Doing these disciplines alone that I'm going to talk about till the end of September, doing these disciplines alone is not enough. But what they do is they serve as the conduit, as the wire, as the connecting point that connects us to the place in which the power flows. So I want to have a certain life. I've got to connect to the power source. I've got to connect to God. I've got to link up to Him. And how do I link up with Him? Through these spiritual practices, best practices, disciplines, habits of a life well lived. So, we're going to break these down. And we're going to hit several of them over the course of the next several weeks. One of those practices is the one I want to talk about today. Number one is that we will know the value and we will live in the value of, uh, of taking a pause daily, multiple times in a day, that involves silence, solitude, in Scripture. That I will daily pull aside and I will daily pull aside multiple times in a day if necessary and practice silence, solitude, and Scripture. Daily, on a regular basis, I keep saying that again and again. Aristotle said it like this, we are what we repeatedly do. So what are you doing? And if you do it and you do it well, and one of those things that we should do and do well is practice being still. 
Now, I know that even as I say that, our lives are full of sound and fury and you're getting tweets and and you're getting dings and you're getting emails and you're getting a text right now. Stop it. Wrestle that sucker down. Get control of it. Gene Fleming said it like this. We live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude are not 21st century words. They fit the era of Victorian lace and high-button shoes and kerosene lamps better than the age of television, video games, joggers wired to their earphones. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and uneasiness with being alone. I want to challenge you. One of the disciplines of a life well-lived is learning the value of silence, solitude, and Scripture. We have an attention deficit disorder when it comes to God, though. I know it because I I struggle with it myself with all the instruments and gadgets with cell phones and 500 TV stations and, and Flickr and faxes and emails and Twitter and text and blogs and instant messages and Instagram. It's instant distraction. It's constantly there. We're bored. We take our computers, call them phones if you will, we take our computers to the bathroom stalls so that we can stay connected while we're on the toilet. Please forgive me. But that's stupid. But we do. We stay connected all the time. We never unplug. Not to mention the unexpected guests, the unexpected messes, the, the sick children, the crying babies, the broken things. We are constantly being pulled. And we say, Mike, and you're telling me to pull aside in silence? You're telling me to, to seek solitude? Listen, if you want to live well, you're going to have to change and wrestle down some things in your life. And one of those... It's the 24 hours that you've been given. How are you doing on your survey? How's, how's, how's that pause category working out for you? Take your Bibles. We're finding the Gospel of Mark. You know what our Mark is? It's the, one of the first books in the New Testament. Bible's divided into two, the Old and the New, and this is the New Testament. It's one that probably has all the red letters. Now, if you have a screen, you can find it a lot easier that way if you're looking on your tablets. Just don't be texting because we're talking about that kind of stuff right now. All right, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at a passage here. And we're going to, we've got to remember here, Jesus' ministry is in full motion, all right, in Mark chapter 1. I mean, you, he just jumps into it. We find temptation. We find healing. We find, we find unclean spirits. We find Jesus in full armor of, of, of motion, and his ministry is, is ever-growing, all right? So there's, there's no slowing down. There's no Jesus doesn't have much going on in his life. He's in high demand. Aren't you? All those tweets and Twitters and Instagrams and insta, instant interruptions, aren't, aren't they just, again, the constant demands, the notifications, they're just showing that you're a person in high demand and, and there's a, a lot out there looking for you. Well, so it was with Jesus in his life. But somehow, and this is what we're all going to get into our life, a life principle into our life, is that you and I must daily pause before the push and the pull of the new day. 
We've got the pull, the push and the pull is going to be there. In fact, I wake up. How many of y'all struggle with this? When you wake up and immediately what you start thinking about is the work that you have to do or that you didn't get done yesterday. Raise your hand. All right. I got a witness there. Work immediately comes upon you. Life immediately comes upon you. Noises immediately come upon you. Bing, dings, bings, whatever come upon you. And all of a sudden, you're put into motion. And I want to say stop the motion and start the pause. Start your day, your life with a pause. Look at this. In, in, in James, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, In rising very early in the morning, while it's still dark, this is Jesus he's speaking of here, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Kind of make notes here about the situation. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Circle the word search. We'll come back and talk about that in a moment. And they found him. It's kind of like hide and seek with Jesus going on here, okay? And they found him, and they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all a Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Now, I know immediately when you think about time, and time is measure, one form of measurement, but for some of y'all, time is also a measurement in dollars and cents. You work and you get paid by the hour. And you know that every minute and every hour counts. And, and if you're certain, certain of you get paid more per hour per minute, you can even measure it down. Or just take your salary and break it down into the number of days that you work and then break that down uh, by the number of hours in a day. And you will see how much every minute is valued in your life. All right? If you have to put a quantitative uh, mathematical number on it. And so immediately you start thinking, but my time is so precious and so valuable. And so now, Mike, you're telling me to just to sit in a chair and be silent? What's the benefits of that? Take my Bible and hold it, and I don't even understand it? What's the benefit of that? I want to talk about three benefits. I want to try to convince you that this will add value to your life in such a way that you can't live without it. Number one benefit is the private moments with the Father. Private moments that you're going to have when you pull aside, stop the, 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 the madness, and you pull aside, you're going to have private moments with God, the Father, in your life. Now think about it. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, Oh, Lord, it's morning? Or do you say, Good morning, Lord? Which is more your response? Hopefully, we can train the brain, train the spirit, train the mind that we'll wake up in the morning with an anticipation. Now, notice here what Jesus did. Early in the morning while it is still dark, what does he do? I want to give you kind of what, what, what a private moment might look like. Number one, it takes time. All right? Early in the morning while it's still dark. Now, some of us didn't know that five o'clock happened twice in a day. Some of us don't realize that, that there, 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 there might be times in the morning, even if it's 10 minutes earlier than you normally get up, that you can actually create space in time for moments with God. If we want to, listen, let me, let me warn you, you're not going to find time. You're going to have to make time. You will have to make it, take it, redeem it, claim it. You know, I, I don't know about you, but 
in my own walk with God, I've, I've realized this, that God and I don't live on the same time zone. He tends to wake me up about three or four in the morning. And I say that, I, I realize that my subconscious mind is still working as my conscious mind may be, may be resting. And I realize that my spirit never rests. And so you have this constant working and going on. And sometimes at four or three in the morning, I'll wake up and it's like, boom, I need to, I need to write that down. God, you just spoke. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens a lot. Enough that I need to pay attention. Enough that I need to realize that, listen, if God of the universe is wanting to talk to little old Mike McDaniel, I might want to pay attention. He might have something valuable to say to me. And for some of y'all, I'm just going to stick my neck out on the limb. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning... And immediately you're going to remember something about today in this moment. And then you're going to have an epiphany about something. You're going to have something. And listen, I want to encourage you to lean in on it. Isaiah the prophet did. In Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says, He awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Make sure there's a time Make sure there's a place. Also notice that he departed to a desolate place. He left the house and he went out. There are places and we need to find places and we need to make places and we need to carve off corners and sections of our home and life and, and we need to make places for God, sacred places. Now they don't have to be just that, but that is your place where you meet with God. And can you carve that off and make that happen? I love it in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It even says that Jesus went to a certain place. Listen, what I'm reading you today in Mark chapter 1, you read the Gospels and you'll find time and time and time and time and time again that Jesus goes away to certain places. Here at the beginning of His ministry, we find Him going away. At the end of His ministry, when He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, He goes away and He gets away. And He prays. That's what he's doing. He's, he's getting alone. He's finding that place that he can be with God and, and it's a sacred place. Listen, you need to find and make sacred places. I, I, I travel quite a bit and I, I've also made the habit of wherever I go to find and make sacred places. I've started collecting photos of these places just in the past couple of years. And I even posted a bunch on Facebook this morning, and here's just a few of them. Top left is when I'm sitting by the Zambezi River, and I'm preparing a message uh, actually this past uh, April. And then uh, also somebody snapped this photo, and I didn't even realize it, under a mango tree in, in, in West Africa in Mali, where I start my days each morning with my Bible and my coffee, and, and, and I start it right there, and I meet with God under the mango tree. And then the top right, top right one is at 5.30 in the morning. I go out about 5.30 or 6 in the morning on Times Square in New York City about a year ago. And, and it's about the only time it's not chaos on Times Square. But I thought, I'm going to get up in the morning. We were staying just a block away from Times Square. And I'm going to see what life is like in the city that never sleeps. And I'm going to go to Times Square, the epicenter of activity. And I'm going to see at 5.30 what it's like. I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to take my coffee. And I'm going to meet with God on Times Square. And I loved it because I prayed for the city that never sleeps and never rests and never finds solitude. Make sacred places. Number, number three, there's an atmosphere. Notice that he went to a desolate place. 
That sounds pathetic. It sounds uninviting. But what was he really looking for? He was looking for a place there was not anybody else. There wasn't going to be a lot of distractions. There wasn't going to be a lot of interruptions. Hey, granted, he's God, right? It's Jesus. He doesn't need rest, right? He can do. He, I mean, he, he ought to be available all the time. Shouldn't you be available all the time? No. If the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, walking on earth, had to rest, had to pull aside, had to find times of prayer, then don't you think you and I should do the same thing? Look at Psalm 62, verse 1 and following. He said, My soul waits in silence for God only. For Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. Notice these words, hope will not be shaken. Stronghold, salvation, rock. Where does, where do you find those? Where's that kind of relationship with God? My soul waits in silence. Noise and crowds have a way of siphoning our energy and distracting our attention, making prayer an added chore rather than a comforting relief. We need these places, these atmospheres. We need time. We need to make time. And what's the agenda? You'll notice also there's an agenda. He got aside and he prayed. He went aside to pray. Again, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, is still praying and talking to the Father. Therefore, I think there's value in that. We need to learn to be comfortable in the presence of the Holy Spirit, anticipating Him speaking to us working in us. The second benefit. Let's talk about the second benefit. The first benefit is you're meeting with the Father of the universe, your Father. The second benefit is that it's protected time from the world. Listen, I think I've established, and it doesn't take much convincing, but this world is crazy, and its craziness wants to suck you in. The overwhelmingness of this world, if that's the word, overwhelmingness, it is now, uh, wants to suck you in. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and following, it says this, The report of His power had spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear, hear Him preach and to be healed of His diseases. Can you just to see the snowball effect of His ministry? I mean, Jesus is busy. Well, what does Jesus do? Does He get all the crowds together? He line them up one by one, going to heal them, going to heal them? No, what does it say? But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. What an anti-movement move. I mean, why would you pull aside when you have all this momentum and all this activity? Why don't you go out and greet them? Why don't you serve them? Why don't you spend energy? Why don't you teach? Why don't you... No, he pulls aside. He says, no. Listen, if you're available all the time, you're not worth much when you are available. Think about it. Life principle, again, is you need to daily pause before the push and the pull of each new day. Listen, we need to do this weekly. We need a day. 
Seven days out of the week. We need a day that we can pull aside and we can stop and we can stop the craziness. I mean, this is the way God designed the perfect world. It's the way he himself practices it. He gave it to us. He said, listen, I made this day for you. It is a gift from God that we would have a day out of every week that we would pull aside and we would just say no to the world. No to the fury. What if we made Sunday that holy day again, that sacred day again, and our families where sports and entertainment and activity would stop? Traveling teams, work emails. We might make it through a service before all of that comes rushing back at us again. Unless we take the time, time will be taken from us. Daily holy pauses are powerful. One of the things that Lori and I like to do when we have a chance, we haven't done it in about four or five years, is we like to go diving. This is I'm diving in Cozumel here, a beautiful place. And um, one of the things you learn that when you're diving, you take on nitrogen in, into your blood and that whenever you, um, whenever you ascend after diving for any length of time, that you need to have a safety stop at about 15 feet before you hit the surface. And that controlling buoyancy is all, all that's very important in the whole process. And what you do is you have to wait for a, uh, for a certain length of time and you wait and you watch your clock and you stay there at that 15 foot mark before you ascend so that you can off the gas that you've taken on. So you can let that off. I wonder, I wonder if we could just use that metaphor for a moment. Think about the gases that we take on in any given day. If we don't have time to off that gas, then we just will explode on the inside. Notice this in verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. I love the determination. I I admire that about them. They searched for him. That word search, though, I I did a word study on that this week, and I I hadn't done that on that particular word before. And it it literally has been translated at times in the past to mean hostile intent, that you are actually after somebody in search of them as if you want to get to them. I thought, man, surely that's not a good word, not a good choice of words that you would use a word for hostile intent until I start diving more into it. And it actually means in, in, in this sense that they had a malicious intent of controlling his schedule. There was some manipulation going on. Now they weren't being evil about it, but you got to realize these disciples saw opportunity, saw success saw where they could go somewhere with this guy. This guy could lead movements. And so they wanted to control his schedule. People want to control your schedule as well. Everyone is looking for you, they said in verse 37. Everyone is looking for you. Hey, listen, just because the world needs you doesn't mean you need the world. Did you get that? Just because the world needs you doesn't mean you need the world. And somehow being able to say, hey, I'm going to control this. I'm stopping it right here and now. I'm not going to be controlled. Listen, Jesus' ministry was, was, was on the move up and to the right. In John chapter 6, verse 15, I love this. Perceiving then that they were about to take him by force to make him king. The same word force is the same word they used when they took him by force to the cross. Now they're using it, but they're going to make him king. 
They're going to promote him to king. What was Jesus' response? He withdrew. Again, to a mountain by himself. Maybe the next time the world comes knocking, you just don't answer. Here's a verse I want us all to read out loud together. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. Read it with me. God made us plain and simple. I want you to read that again. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. How do you deal with this world? Well, one, you've got to resist it. Do not let the world dictate to you your life. Resist it. I read a study this past summer. Actually, Jim Vinsky, I think you're in the room. You sent it to me. Amazing study about a study that was done by University of Virginia and Harvard. And it was about how people, with all of our little devices that we can't go anywhere without them, and uh, they asked these these people, these participants, uh, to be willing to come aside and to get quiet and to get still. They did a series of 11 different studies uh, over a period of time and gave, gave them just moments, not hours. We're just talking about moments just to come aside and get still and be quiet. And all you could do is think. That was it. You couldn't have your gadgets with you. You couldn't do anything else. They even asked the question, would they rather do an unpleasant activity then no activity at all. And they found that people would, some people, would even be willing to receive a shock than to absolutely be alone without their gadgets, without their noises, without their friends. Listen, don't build your life on that. Resist it. Relax also. Be free and ready and able to relax. Mark chapter 6, verse verse 30 just over a couple of pages, and it says this, and the apostles returned to Jesus and told them, told him all that they had done and taught. And they said to him, come away. And this is what he said to them. They'd been doing ministry. They'd been feeding the, uh, they were about to feed the 5,000. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. In your moments, rest. Rest in his presence. Rest. Relax. Number three, Reflect. If you can stop the noise long enough, if you can stop the fury long enough, take time to reflect. Examine yourself. Henry Now, one of my favorite authors, solitude has been called the furnace of transformation. How good are you at resting? This world is not going to let you. Your children... God bless them. They're going to always need you. It's job security for sure. But if you are going to see the transformed life that you want to see, you're going to find it in solitude and silence. The problem is some of us can't stand ourselves. We can't stand the voices in our own heads and hearts. Silence. Embrace it. We're going to give you four minutes in this service right now to embrace silence, solitude, and Scripture.
What will happen in your life if you practice it? You know, I, it won't be the same every day. It'll be, in fact, it'll be quite different much of the time. But there's something that happened in Jesus' life. I've seen it multiple times in my life. And I have to believe it will happen in your life too. So Jesus, in the midst of this growing and vibrant ministry, and Jesus, in the midst of all the demands of even His own disciples trying to manipulate and control His schedule and searching for Him and all that kind of stuff and finding Him and say, Hey, everyone in town is looking for you. Jesus had a response. And it wasn't to stay where they're at, to stay where they're thriving, to stay where they're successful, to stay where it's comfortable, to stay where the momentum is. It was actually to move away from the momentum. It was actually to go somewhere different. It was actually to go and start pioneering some more work in a new place. Really what happens is there's this renewed purpose that happens. And that's the third benefit, is your purpose is renewed. All of a sudden you get still, you shut off noises and beings and notifications and you're still and you're quiet in His presence. And you're leaning in and you're shutting off. All of a sudden things become clearer. The ambiguity becomes clearer. The decision that you've got to make becomes clearer. Because there's a still small voice involved, because God's involved, because you're listening, because you're applying. That's exactly what Jesus does. And if you look in verse 38 and 39, it says this, and he says, let's go to the next town. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone in this town is loving you, Jesus. 
Why would you go anywhere else? Why? That I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. See, he knew he was for the nations. He knew he was for all of Galilee, not just little old Capernaum. He knew that he was for the world. And if he had just stopped there because it was easy and convenient and positive and energy was good and all, you know, he didn't. Because he got alone, because he got quiet, because he shut off the distractions, he heard. Luke 4, 43's account says it like this. I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. That's why he was sent. I'll tell you about a time in my life. It's in February of 95. Lori and I in our young marriage uh, um, had felt God moving. But where he was moving, whew, it was going to be a big change. And you want to get this one right. <laughs> it's career change, life change, everything, ch- geographical change, everything was going to change. If we missed this one, it was going to be hard to recover from. So I did what I only I knew to do, is I called somebody who had a one-room cabin six hours from where we lived. I couldn't do this at home. I needed to get away. And so... Went to this cabin. It was in February, remember? It was winter. They'd winterized their cabin. They said, hey, you can turn the heat on, but there's no water. So I packed in my own water. I fasted for 48 hours, and I prayed. And I saw God, and I listened, and I prayed, and I saw God, and I listened, and I journaled, and I wrote, and I read, and I just listened, and I turned off all the outside noises, and I just waited and listened. And when I f- finished that little 48-hour step-aside pause, holy pause. It was ever clear in where God was leading. I go home, and Lori had been praying on her own and doing her own thing. And I, I told her, I said, I feel like God's calling us to move our family to Africa, to Zambia. I didn't know Zambia at the time, but to Africa, to be missionaries for the rest of our life. That's what we thought. We were really to go. Now, I, I, I don't want to give you all the story behind that just for the sake of time. But I can to this day look back at my life and, and look at the McDaniel family. You know, just look at our history. The world and the nations has been in our narrative ever since that time. Expanding to the unreached people groups of the world has been a part of Grace Point Church. We have somebody right now in West Africa volunteering for three months and we have a team leaving this Thursday going as well to West Africa to volunteer. I'm leading a team to, to India in a couple of weeks and because that's a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. It's a part of the calling. It's the purpose in which God put breath in me. What am I saying all this? Just to say this, is that when I get still and when I get alone and when I get with God and when I shut everything else out, all of a sudden life becomes a lot more clearer when the only voice I'm listening to is His. There's a beauty about being in a relationship with Jesus and I hope it can be said of you. And it's when Jesus said this, He said, My sheep, 
They hear my voice. I know them. Notice the relational thing there. They hear my voice and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. Do you, do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ like that? Do you give him time and space in your day? Look at the survey. Do you have a holy pause in your life when God can speak? I pray so. We're going to continue in prayer. You might need to just stay seated. You might need to stand. You might need to bow. You may just come and lay on the floor in your face. I don't know wherever you are, whatever you are. We're going to take up our offering at this time. I want to pray. But we're going to continue right on in worship. This is not getting ready to go home time. This is pause time. This is listen time. This is respond to him time. Father God, we bow before you. We thank you that you want to speak to us. God of the universe, you want to speak to us. We're your sheep. You know us and we follow you.